Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. You will go to the Dagobah system. Dagobah system? There you will learn from Yoda, the Jedi Master who instructed me. This week, the story is about the literal creation of worlds. So some movie franchises build a rich and immersive space that we end up referring to as a universe, a movie universe. It's never more true than in Star Wars uh, because its backdrop is actually a universe or a galaxy, if you will. So we're counting down our top six favorite planets in Star Wars based on whatever criteria we see fit. Uh, Ross, it's one of those topics that obviously has some broad obvious answers. Who's your favorite character? Well, Luke Skywalker. But it's also got some nitty gritty, which usually you tend to be a little bit more versed in than I. How is it even possible to compare Star Wars planets to one another? I think you take this a little similar to the way that we take a lot of our lists, or at least I approach most of them of a similar vein. If we haven't uh, expressed utmost clarity, then you use a little bit of nostalgia uh, factored in with a little bit of logic, a little bit of uh, indescribable attachment, um, key moments that maybe have been associated with uh, said item that we're ranking. And I think a lot of that falls uh, the same way with these planets. Uh, there's going to be something that maybe stood out the first time you saw it, or over time you build a, a strong attachment to it for the attachment that it has with stories for different characters and whatnot. Uh, but it's it definitely can be really interesting the way different planets uh, can set the scene for different stories in Star Wars. And that's ultimately what this is all about, is being able to engage in the stories in different ways. And so having new planets be creative backdrops for these stories is something that Star Wars has always done. And that's something that I hope it continues to excel at, uh, at, at an excellent rate. And so uh, I'm excited to see what the volume holds in store for, for Star Wars planets moving forward and whatnot. Um, but that's a, that's at least kind of the, the way I took this list. What I found is that my appreciation or affection for a Star Wars planet has almost nothing to do with the number of minutes that we've spent with that planet. And so, like, maybe a planet ranks really high on my list in spite of the fact that we only actually were there for a total of, like, four and a half screen time minutes or something. Or, like, one event happens or, like, one bit of dialogue. Or this planet represents a character specifically that I feel really attached to and suddenly that planet means the world to me, so to speak. And so... It's really arbitrary how I ended up selecting these. And yet, most of my list, with the exception of maybe one curveball, which we'll get to which we'll get to pretty quickly, m most of my list is is pretty fundamental and and agreeable by the masses. I would say mine isn't. I would say parts of my list are, and there are some that I really wanted to include on my list. This is another one of those ones that I feel very strongly on my on a couple of the ones that are the honorable mentions that I have. I mean, there's a bunch of honorable mentions, but in particular, there's, uh, there's, I'm looking at one. Um, there's another one, especially you say in the way that you can kind of associate uh, people and events with, with characters and whatnot. But yeah, there's, there's a couple uh, I, I'm, I'm bummed. I'm not able to talk about as, as, as a top six, but another uh, thing I wanted to bring up before we dive directly into them is classification. And this is something we didn't talk about 
and something that I think we should talk about prior to as one of us may fall into this trap, one of us maybe won't, but we'll definitely at the very least talk about it with honorable mentions. And that would be that while we say planets, we are referring to celestial bodies in which characters are able to visit. So if we say Endor, we do not mean the gas giant of Endor. We're referring to the forest moon of Endor. Of course. Not Kefbur either, the water moon. We would say Kefbur because it's got another name. Uh, and so operating under that kind of premise, uh, there are some other m weird asteroid-like things in Star Wars. Uh, but we took that into account as just kind of lumping them as planets. Uh, you could say celestial bodies if you want. But. Sometimes my daily crossword will give me a clue akin to it's where the Ewoks live and it's five spaces mm -hmm. and they're looking for me to say Endor. And I understand that there's this is not a place to be too uh, pedantic when you're doing the crossword. Or maybe it is. But uh, every single just time... the abbreviation is oh or, yeah the forest moon of endor so just it's like <laughs> that, that would not work that would <laughs> definitely throw <laughs> off the puzzle every single time i get like in my head i'm like well you know this is not technically endor so much as the forest moon of endor as we're familiar with it and i think probably other people are uh familiar with that instinct when people say endor uh, I guess it's your turn to go first. So why don't you tell me about your sixth favorite planet in all of Star Wars? My sixth favorite planet in all of Star Wars, I would say uh, is so it's, it's extremely associated with an era and a trilogy and uh, felt missing to great degree in our most recent trilogy. And that would be Coruscant. And Coruscant is so essential to all of Star Wars. Uh, it is the, the city planet. It is where much action occurs. It's the, the Jedi Council. It's uh, the entire uh, floor leveling of the planet and how you have crime levels, 1313, and just that dives deep on the different levels of characters that you can find there. You explore it so much in the Clone Wars. Uh, but this is something that George Lucas envisioned back in the age of the original trilogy and was in drafts of his scripts. Uh, and it had different names uh, at different times. Uh, Heba, Heba's yeah, something like that, Hebabed or something. But it had a, a bunch of different variations. And it was something that he always wanted uh, to bring into Star Wars. So it's so synonymous with the prequel trilogy, but appropriately so, it's this uh, very epic uh, center of the political galaxy. And then the original trilogy is this crumbled political republic. So it is a phenomenal planet in the backdrop to so much great in Star Wars. Right, I, I totally agree. The This gritty metropolis is so cool and they do so much with it, which you can't always say with a Star Wars planet. Sometimes you just get a little whisper of a planet and you want so mm. much more. They really do like use Coruscant to its fullest in the prequel trilogy. But as you mentioned, it existed canonically even in the making of the original trilogy. So what decisions do you suppose led to its complete omission from the original trilogy? And is it perhaps just the lack of technology? I think maybe it was in part the lack of technology. Uh, there was many variations as to what Palpatine's lair was going to be uh, in many of the variations of the scripts uh, or treatments is probably the more appropriate way to say it. Uh, it was located on Coruscant was his lair and Palpatine. I mean, in, in many variations, Palpatine wasn't the same Palpatine that we know. He wasn't this uh, like 
wicked witch in the forest type with with the evil look and and the cloak this was back before even palpatine uh there was certain amazing illustrations in in one of my great art books of palpatine being just this just a a beautiful face and it's it's much i've talked about before on kind of like the the mythical kind of aura that George Lucas wanted to create around Palpatine. And that's the reason as to why he didn't really want to cast a singular human to portray Palpatine. He wanted it to be larger than a human could portray. Uh, ultimately he had to, to settle for Aaron McDiarmid, which is the best settle ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it just, it, in many iterations, um, that kind of final encounter where Vader takes Luke to meet the emperor took place on Coruscant, but they just kind of scrapped that in different variations and made it take place uh, on the Death Star. I understand that Coruscant carries on as it is beyond the prequel trilogy, but it does seem like we're probably missing something with, without getting to see it for so many generations, like over Mm -hmm. the course of six films in the Skywalker saga, we really don't know what it looks like anymore or even really how it behaves like economically or like what the political structure is anymore. Now, obviously it's pretty corrupt through the period of the original trilogy, um, but that's not an easy fix over the course of a few years. And so we've talked before about how it would be a great setting for like a detective show or, or something Mm. like even if Mando were to go there at some point, I'm so curious to see what it could look like. And they decentralize it from being Coruscant as the political center of the galaxy. But that doesn't mean that it's not still in probably many ways, the business center of the galaxy. So it would be, it's something that we need to see. And then on top of all that, it is one of the few planets in star Wars that does not have um, a generic atmosphere all the time. Uh, It's got bright skies sometimes, but it sometimes has like, it has like almost like very long dusks and dawns because they, the the sky sometimes has a a really cool purple hue to it. Smog probably. Yeah, absolutely. But it also creates for a great atmosphere and, and very fitting. Yeah, definitely. My number six is, it would really surprise me if it's not uh, higher up on your list. It's Dagobah. Can I talk about it now or should we save the conversation? No, Dagobah is one of the, uh, incredible honorable mentions. I adore Dagobah, but I'm so glad that we get to talk about it. An excellent one. It is sitting right outside my list. That must have killed you. Uh, It was really, it was a tough, it was a tough choice for me. I wanted this slot to be occupied by a forest planet of some kind. And there are lots of really good ones. Uh, I wanted to celebrate that particular milieu because I thought it was important to highlight that I began as someone who, who loved Star Wars, um, as like a childhood player of Star Wars. And when we would traipse through the woods as kids, when you get to the point where you can no longer see your house or your buddy's house or the cars on the street or the corner store, you can properly commit to the role play of Star Wars. And so that's why I wanted a forest planet in this slot. I chose Dagobah, I think probably for more conventional academic reasons it's just the forest planet where the most important star wars stuff happens the the most consequential um and moving movie making actually occurs on dagobah and of course as i mentioned before is represented by a character who's a character everybody loves and so it was a toss-up in 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 selecting which one but dagobah is constant entertainment and constant important moments so it's essential for me Uh Absolutely an essential planet, a 
forest nexus. Uh, it's incredibly designed. Uh, it is, I guess you could say it's a forest planet, but it's usually associated as a swamp planet. And sure, that's another yeah. really cool angle to it. Uh, the fact that there's a bunch of life reading, but it's this planet that it makes it easy for Yoda to hide in that because it's a dark side nexus, yet it has all this life reading and it's because it's a swamp. Um, and you're right. So much learning occurs there and it's got the, the cave of evil, which of course is so mystical is one of the most, probably the most mystical thing that's ever happened, except maybe force ghosts in star Wars. Um, but it's, it's very trippy and it's all because uh, Dagobah is able to interact with the characters as well. It's not just a setting. It interacts with the characters right. and, that's that's integral to creating just good storytelling in general, um, but also uh, especially with Star Wars because you can get so creative with that. And Yoda's hut, Yoda's death, yeah. of course, the ultimate realization that that Luke, uh, well, that's where he has it confirmed to him that Vader is his father, and then he also realizes that Leia is his sister. This is very important, like plot driving moments that exist on Dagobah, and, and and it and it looks cool. It's like well designed, so. It was yeah. actually very easy. Yeah, no, that was one that it, it cut me deep to not have on my list, but I'm glad we got to talk about it. Tell me what your number five is. My number five would be, well, probably the most obvious one of all uh, and talk about interacting with uh, the characters. And that would be Tatooine. Ah. Uh, I mean, you have to have it on your list. It's the, the twin sons. It's the 3PO and R2 in the escape pod and going their separate ways. Uh, it's the crate dragon in the sand, uh, mm. of course, the, the Lars family homestead, Mos Espa, Mos Eisley. It has all, it has so much to offer. And now it, it, it continues to offer even more with Mandalorian as well. We get to see not just crate dragon skeleton, but this giant fight with a crate dragon. Uh, and I mean, Tatooine, it, it, it just spurs the imagination, the Sarlacc pit. There's, you got rontos and dewbacks and scurriers and yopies it's got all it's got so many different crazy little characters that like you see in the like running through the screen it's it's just scream star wars and it's what harkens back to 1970 all the way through to mando's main plots now too you just said four creature names that i've never heard of you might as well have made up those sounds i have never heard you've never any. heard of a dewback mm, i don't think so and I had a toy Ronto as a kid. That's These the are... really tall one that the, the Jawas <laughs> ride sometimes. Yeah, it's a Brontosaurus, right? I don't know dinosaurs. I know Star Wars. Okay, all right. Um, and the Dewback is the one that looks super dinosaur-y. Right. I have some things to say about this planet, but I was going to save it for a little later. Do you want to put a pin in it for now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my, my number five is one where you might call bullshit and you might be within your right to do... But the fact is, uh, it's a Star Wars planet that means a lot to me, uh, and it's not going to be on your list. It's from Legends. It's called Altier 5, and it's the planetary setting from the first level of the 1998 PC video game Mysteries of the Sith, of which we only had the demo version, but I played it constantly, hundreds of hours logged in really just the first level of this PC video game. End of the day, we're unpacking our personal fanhoods uh, and mine is attached to that video game, that orange lightsaber, that open yep. world. Um, and I think I've had as much fun, if not more, on all tier five as I have 
any other Star Wars planet. And so it felt wrong to exclude it, even if it's not canonical anymore. That's totally fine, especially a planet. Uh, it's a legend of a planet. I'm sure it was there at some point in the galaxy far, far away. That's right. the best part about legends is there's still legends. And all of this is stories of a galaxy far, far away. And I mean, it's all fiction, but and you can it doesn't take long to be able to stretch. I think that's such an awesome choice. I mean, we had so much fun with this game. Uh, it was run, uh, clearly there was uh, an, an Imperial base, uh, or no, I guess it was a rebel base because uh, they say over the intercom, Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered the base. That's right. Uh, it's the very first thing they say, that's how you start off your level and uh, you're, on, you're on the move and, um, oh, what kind, of ship, what kind of ship did you blow? Did you blow up? Was it an X-Wing? Uh, or was it um I don't know I don't it think a it was a class shuttle. Yeah, I don't I think it was more of a shuttle and I think it was quite oblong, but that's you're so right. Like that was the thing you could do is you could collect these I guess they were like seismic chargers, but they were basically like yeah. remote bombs and you could put up to 5 of them I think on this ship if you could force jump onto the ship and then you could just like blow it out of the sky or you could drop it on top of some stormtroopers. And yes. what also made this especially fun as a game and I'm, my God, to look at it now would be like video games have oh come my. so far in 24 years. Um, but we had all the, of these. There wasn't even really a face of the character. No, it was, it was a smoosh. Um, <laughs> we had all of these cheat codes. And so we could very easily make the character fly or you had access to all the weapons or infinite health right away. And like you could beat the level in like eight seconds flat if you wanted to. And like mm -hmm. it it didn't get any better than that opening sequence, which is really just like trying to uh, get to your ship safely. Um, but I don't know. It was when you're first falling in love with Star Wars. And so whatever all tier five is, I don't know. It appears to be some kind of like rock formation based planet, but you spend the whole mm. opening level in uh, in a rebel base. And uh, I loved it very much. So that's my number five. That's an awesome choice. Uh, it could be, and you know, maybe that's uh, like a like Geonosis now in canon uh, as well. Or... Uh, all tier five, uh, it could be in a similar sector to Arvala Seven, which is where um, we meet Grogu for the first time in Mandalorian. Oh, sick! And yeah, think of that. Think of that surrounding. Uh, it totally works. Yep. So maybe the, it's a similar sort of system. I see this as it, it's it's in my head <laughs> canon now. Great. Uh, that yeah, it was a great one because you could also like freeze stormtroopers, push them off a cliff, and because you could fly, you could go to the bottom of the cliff. But they f survived the the freezing fall right and then you'd have just a bunch of stormtroopers running around and you could take away their weapons and so you get fist fights with stormtroopers at the bottom of a cliff it was so much fun and like getting an orange lightsaber and using it to like slash open grates and then climb through mm -hmm. the rafters again it would be like brutal to look at now but if they were to remaster something like that i mean i'm not the only person it, calling for a, a really well done rpg video game in star wars but like that'd be pretty cool well, they did, they did something in that that they probably won't do anytime soon against the Star Wars is they did full-on dismembering. You could behead, you could cut people in half. Yeah. That was a cool part of that. I remember yeah, that arms too. could come off. I remember that for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, number four, your fourth favorite planet, please. My fourth favorite planet, another one that is, has a decent chance to appear uh, on your list as well, uh, and that would be probably the most beautiful planet in star wars uh, and that would be naboo uh it is on my list it is on your list so let's yeah. let's save it a little bit right there i didn't get into anything so there's no need <laughs> to get into anything further than that okay shall it's i beautiful should go i go right to your go forward with, with number four go with number four camino am i good to talk about camino now 
Yes, you are good to talk about Camino. Love Camino. Much about what we like about Star Wars planets is like just based on a few experiences with like select regions of a planet. We don't know a whole lot else, although you probably know a lot more about Camino than I do, especially since you're watching the Bad Batch right now. Um, I don't know a lot about it at large. I know the cloning facility is some of the best science fiction set design I've ever seen. Um, all of the drama and action that takes place uh, in this sequence, especially featuring Obi-Wan and the Fets, um, just super exciting and also chiefly important to propelling the story, like I was talking about with Dagobah. Um, I love that it's a huge ocean. I love that it's always raining. Um, also, the Kaminoans remind me of Zora from Zelda, to go back to an old video game I also loved. Nice. Um, it's like an underseen area and thus underappreciated, but Camino kind of stays with you even beyond its short little appearance in the Skywalker saga. And so I absolutely love Camino. Oh, I absolutely love this choice as well. Because uh, in particular, when we were doing, I think it was um, like scene design or set design of, of some kind or like uh, backgrounds of, of whatnot. Uh, but I said Topoka City in mind, and that would be where that is all we see of Camino thus far. And that would be the, the capital and that'd be where the cloning facility occurs. Uh, and so, yeah, it is in, incredible design. Like you said, the, the, the ocean just crashing around it. We're learning so much more about Camino now. Uh, and we'll, I should say the Kaminoans uh, from the Bad Batch. And so that's getting really interesting. I don't want to give too much away there for spoiler reasons uh, to you. If, if you're at some point, pick up a couple of the episodes, uh, but it's, it's a phenomenal background. Like you said, it screams science fiction, but does it in a way that's awesome with Star Wars. And I absolutely love the way in the Bad Batch um, premiere uh, when they had Tarkin interacting with Lama Sue. And so it was that awesome generational conversation. And it, it is something that is so prequel, but doesn't need to be just prequel. And so I would love to see, are there other cities like that in Camino? That would be super cool. Like, are yeah. there other locations? They're cloners. They have cloned in the past. They've taught, like, this is one of our greatest armies. And so like, they maybe have a few other facilities on, uh, on the planet or other things. I don't know. Well, that's other things. Like, are they more than just cloners? Or is this strictly a desolate yeah. planet where they've come to settle and build clones for other people like is this their are they a banana republic <laughs> you know what i mean like is do they have like a chief export and that's it or is there civilization are there economies on camino who knows i will say is there they land? have reaches beyond that planet uh that's all i can say okay okay all right, well, let's uh, uh, let's move on to your number three, your third favorite planet already. Wow. My, I know, my third favorite planet. I'd be, you, this one could be on your list, certainly. Uh, and uh, Mustafar. Okay, uh, it's not, absolutely. but great it's choice. It's not, but yeah. oh my God, Mustafar. When it, talk about the setting, interacting with the characters and representing what's going on. Uh, I mean, just the lava background and the fact that this planet is... It's so crude. And this is where Darth Vader is sent to go murder the entire leaders of one side of a war while he amalgamates both sides to take over control of the galaxy, chokes out his uh, the mother of his children and his wife while he duels his best friend and loses all of his remaining limbs and gets burnt alive. I mean, talk about a ridiculously incredible setting and the fact yeah. that the lava around it plays such a, a key role in the duel. And then 
so important to its ranking here is the story that Mustafar has beyond that. It's the fact that Darth Vader builds his castle there because it reminds him of his greatest failure and Darth Vader tortures himself every day. That's his. That's how he gets more powerful in the dark side. And so, of course, he would want to reclaim that area. And after he falls and uh, after the events in Vader Immortal, um, or actually more importantly, after the events in Vader Immortal, which is a video game, and it, it, it's the planet starts to heal. Uh, and that's the reason as to why you see in The Rise of Skywalker the fact that it is not all molten lava and the fact that the ruins of Vader's castle are in this area with trees because the planet has started to rehabilitate oh, itself wow. um, because of dark side energy that was trapped within the planet. Uh, and that's part of the reason also what drew Vader to it in the first place uh, because of the dark side force that he uncovered there and ultimately the force told him and he almost succeeded through uh, told him that this would be the place that would help him um, bring Padme back to life. Then he would learn how to cheat death here. Um, and he ultimately, he almost succeeded in that through some great comic lines, ultimately some of the best comic lines that have existed. I have not super big into the star Wars comics, um, but some of the Vader ones have been really interesting uh, in exploring just, the force and Darth Vader and, and what makes the guy tick. Uh, and so the background is fantastic and there's so much more you can still do with Mustafar. Um, if you go way back, uh, what's it gonna be like? If you go way in the future, what's it gonna be like? And so it's this planet that it's, uh, it's almost a character in itself. And on that note, do we have reason to believe that it's sort of like Dagobah in, in its force nexus kind of capacity? Like it sort of has a centrality with the dark side of the force? Yeah, I don't know actually specific if um, it falls directly in that category because of like it's it's very mystical some of the details and I I, I don't remember them in in the fullest because it was a, a couple years ago now, uh, but yes it, it it definitely is imbued with the the dark side it is um, it is a stronghold in that regard and that's what draws Vader to it and keeps him there but that's the reason as to why it has started to kind of heal. So it, it's not necessarily the same kind of nexus because I don't know if you could ever heal Dagobah and make it no longer a dark side place. Although Kylo Ren does uh, go there with Snoke in a comic and destroys the tree um, oh, wow. and, and the dark side in the Cave of Evil. Um, so he destroys that on Dagobah. So maybe if we do go in the future, maybe it could. What does that achieve, destroying the tree? I, uh, Snoke makes him go in and he has... Uh, <clears throat> I think he, I, I forget exactly what it is, but I think he sees Han, Luke, and Leia. Um, and so he has a temper tantrum. He, 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 it's, yeah, yeah, he has a temper tantrum and he blows the whole thing up. The same see. way that he like blows the cabin, like pulls in uh, his hut and like kills Luke or thinks right. he kills Luke that way in, in uh, Last Jedi. He just explodes the tree. <laughs> I never thought about this before, but there's a real parallel between the ending of the prequel trilogy and the ending of the Lord of the Rings in that both involve... Um, a hero and a villain in one final combat wherein the antagonist, the loser, is ultimately engulfed by flames. I mean, both take place essentially in a volcano. Engulfed by flames as a metaphor for being engulfed by his own greed that ultimately destroys him. And so maybe I'm kind of grasping at straws. Obviously, there's a huge difference between Darth Vader and Gollum. Um, but... And there's a difference between Obi-Wan and Frodo, too, because Obi-Wan is not the chosen one. But 
there is a, a there is something interesting about the symbolism of being within all of this fire while something is also consuming the last bit of good in someone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, it it makes perfect sense for, for the backdrop and the fact that they they mirror it well in the Rise of Skywalker with the water uh, and then the, the really great kind of um, foreshadowing of that within in The Last Jedi with the water. And so um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see if there's other homages to, to fire and water and fire and ice with Kenobi coming up around the corner yeah. as to where will be the backdrop for their next meeting. My third favorite planet is Hoth. Should I save it or should I dig in now? Go for it. Another incredible one. There's so many great ones to talk about. You had yeah. to cut incredible ones. Awesome, awesome location. Go for it. This is largely a function, I think, of it just being the setting for a lot of my favorite moments. Um, Hoth is like getting the credit for Han and Leia's great banter scene or the incredible battle of Hoth, the Tauntaun rescue, the first time we actually visually experience a force ghost. But also Hoth is all around uh, cool. Like it's wonderful movie watching. Uh, and it's like the first big demonstration of how big and and great Star Wars can be as an experience. But it's also like awesome to look at. The fort is really awesome. And similar to what I said about like traipsing through the woods, uh, playing in the snow as a kid is playing on Hoth. It's putting on your snowsuit. It's digging tunnels in the snowbanks. It's part of the role playing of being uh, along for the adventure. And so it's very accessible when they're wearing uh, snowsuits and and digging mm -hmm. in the snow. You're like, I've done that. I'm a little kid. I'm basically yeah. Han Solo. And so maybe that's what draws you to Hoth. Maybe that's easier because we lived in a cold climate growing up. But um, I mean, that's that's the start. The uh, incredible first act of that incredible movie, Empire Strikes Back. Um, Hoth was an easy, it was a slam dunk top three for me. Yeah, I mean, Hoth is one that you'll find out from uh, I guess my next choice uh, as to why uh, it's not in my top uh, six, but it is incredible for all the reasons that you mentioned. It absolutely reminds you of playing as a kid. It is the backdrop to the most epic, one of the most epic battles in Star Wars. And you get one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars with Luke upside down in the Wampa Cave. And I mean, of course, that first force pull, it's just, and like, of course, it being in the snow and Echo Base and the way that the the ATATs, my favorite vehicle from last time that we discussed, uh, occur in this environment. It is it, like you said, it's so integral to the story as well. Uh, it's it, it, like Han has to go out and rescue Luke because he's going to freeze to death. It's a phenomenal setting, and it contrasts so much from what we see in A New Hope. You get to start with a desert, and now we're in like uh, a snow desert, and so it's it's a phenomenal backdrop and commend George Lucas's imagination to go to Norway <laughs> from Tunisia. And it might have been lightning in a bottle too, because as much as we say, gee, I wish they'd go back to Coruscant. I wish they'd go back to Naboo or Tatooine, which we said through all of the sequel trilogy. I'm not sure they're ever going to have to go back to Hoth. It, it seems like they'd have to like really make mm -hmm. an effort to bring the story back there. And I think I'm okay with that. It's, it's not going to get better. Yeah. It's also the sixth planet in the Hoth system. Oh, okay. There you go. So there's could be a lot. It's not that special, uh, but it's special to us because of what happens there. Right. Are they all um, ice planets? Probably not. I don't know. 
I have no idea. Wow. I think that, that that is all I know about that circumstance. I think I looked it up a while back. Um, I, I think they're just pretty basic. I don't know if there's any other info. It definitely isn't Canada, I don't think. Okay, number two, your turn for number two. My, my number two is a different snow planet. Uh, and for less, uh, and I guess for the reasons of similar in the sense that Hoth is uh, a dime a dozen in the galaxy far, far away, we experience phenomenal moments there. Uh, but speaking of a bit of a diamond in the rough, or at least a kyber crystal in the snow, uh, my choice is Ilum slash Starkiller Base. Nice, cool. And that would be the, in terms of a planet that is part of the plot. I mean, can it get any bigger than that? This is the size of the Death Star. This is the size of Starkiller Base. And it is engulfed inside the planet where Jedi used to harvest their kyber crystals to build their lightsabers. And ultimately this is a light side energy force nexus, one of the most powerful in the entire galaxy. And then the first order goes, actually the empire starts it because we explore it in Jedi Fallen Order that you see it's being pillaged just a few years after the empire has started. After they wipe out the Jedi, they immediately go to Ilum because they know exactly where it is. Right. And so they begin to build this weapon. And then the first order takes over said weapon. And it's ultimately taken everything good from this beautiful planet and turned it into something that destroys six other planets and then ultimately gets destroyed in itself as uh, Poe and, and whatnot blow it up. And then Ray and Kylo fight next to a cliff. It's just, it's, it's epic in its uh, association with that film, but also its impact on the galaxy at large. Well, I mean, I, I can't say anything better than that absolutely and i think it's probably necessary if we're going to try and out death star the death star in episode seven to build it into a planet otherwise it's just ridiculous and also it's mm. kind of it makes more sense anyway it's suddenly like oh why didn't they do that all along like yeah they well, should they had started it it just took a long time <laughs> i guess i guess of course yeah and that that moment towards the end after the duel in the woods where like the ground is cracking in half and like we got a GTFO mm. that that is really exciting. Yeah, it's an incredible surrounding and you get the trees within the snow, which is really cool. Mm. And you get the way the Falcon skips into the atmosphere, just skids across the snow and uh, you get the that's not how the force works moment. Um, and you get ray reuniting with finn and you get that like we're not done yet moment uh so it's just fantastic and then getting to explore it more uh in the clone wars and then in jedi fallen order uh it's really fantastic and kyber crystals are such a fascinating thing and the, the relationship that the jedi have with them and the, the way that they kind of sing to them and call to them something that force awakens does an excellent job showing through the way that the graphlex calls to ray does it in a bit of a different way but i see it as, as very much one in the same and being certainly thematically exactly what they're going for and so to have this planet be something that is just just turned into something so evil it's just such a, a phenomenal character arc for a planet and so that's really cool i used to like to brainstorm different um backdrops for for lightsaber fights like different areas i'd like to see a lightsaber fight take place and i've often said like on the beach would be really cool or uh, i think i've said in the rain and now i kind of feel like we've, we've seen at least some version of that oh yeah none of the best lightsaber duels last quite long enough with exception of maybe duel of the fates which is like 
quite the epic battle and is not worse for it. But Battle um, of the Heroes is long. <laughs> uh, which one is Battle of the Heroes? Battle of the Heroes is Obi-Wan Anakin. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the duel that begins with Finn and, and Kylo and ultimately ends with Rey on, on Ilum, on Starkiller Base, uh, is too brief, but I love that it's in the woods. And it's like, not necessarily nighttime, but there's a version of an apocalypse happening, and so the sky is red, and mm. it's chaos all around, but like the, the trees are in the way just kind of adds to the excitement because we've done a lot of lightsaber duels within tin cans now. And mm. I, I love seeing them in, in, in all these different, different locations. So that's, that's Sorry, my favorite. Meant, they cut down three trees in their duel. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, they absolutely get in the way when they're doing it. Mm. And you're right. It's, it's such a raw fight and they're chasing each other, cat and mouse. Right. It's just, yeah, I absolutely love it. So was uh, Tatooine your fourth? A favorite uh tatooine was my number five it's my number two uh objectively the most important planet in the skywalker yes, saga of <laughs> course it's the birthplace of the skywalker lineage and it's where we meet those two initial heroes uh spending so much time on tatooine and we probably logged more hours there than any other star wars planet um great question I, it's it's really allowed for a lot of world building which you got at already it's it's diverse in what it has to offer us from like rural farm space to desolate uninhabited i mean besides like jawas and and tuscan raiders um mm -hmm. deserts and uh, mountains and cave people um but there's like sports and culture right there's like yeah. there's like gambling and and of course pod, pod racing and flea markets um there's farming there's weird labor laws, obviously. There are crime syndicates, economies. Um, Gambling. Every Tatooine movie slash TV show kind of brings us a totally new Tatooine, and yet they all fit together to create Tatooine and to create the Star Wars that we know and love. And so you do not have Star Wars without Tatooine. It, it was almost number one for me because it's just that essential. It is so essential. It really is. And it was one that... Um, I adore it, uh, but it's also in the same vein. There's a little bit, it's, I, I don't know. I, I do love Tatooine, but while I'm on Tatooine, uh, except for maybe with Mando, you, you kind of want to get off Tatooine yeah. or at least get to get like, it's a little bit with like with Jakku in that regard. Uh, but I mean, as much as I love the pod race and the, there's the twin sons and there's so many incredible moments it, it's just so essential to Star Wars. It's they're they're one in the same, and I mean this list was bloody hard enough to do. Um, and Tatooine, it's it's just a breeding ground for creativity, and where most of us meet Star Wars, uh, in two degrees. So it's impossibly important. What is the history of the Mos Eisley Cantina, or just Mos Eisley in general? Because we we witness a uh uh. <laughs> A hotbed of scum and villainy, or whatever, in the Phantom Menace. When we when we go there, it's not most icely. Phantom, though. it's Mos Espa. Mos Espa, and so like, w what is the connection between those two communities? Is there, and also maybe this is uh, asking too many questions at once, but like, no. is there a more stately Tatooine? Like we spend all the time in 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 the mud. Is there an is there a suburb? Like, does it get better on Tatooine? Ish. Yeah. So we've been to. Uh, Mos Eisley, Mos Espa, Mos Pelgo. Mos Pelgo is um, Freetown, uh, same thing. That's um, That was in Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. That's where Cobb Vanth runs. Uh, and the capital Tatooine is Bestine. 
Uh, I don't know of a visual, like I don't know visually when we've when we've gone there. I imagine maybe in Clone Wars or otherwise, maybe it's only been in, in comics or books or whatnot. But um, I don't know a whole lot about Bestine, but I imagine it's a little bit more civilized in the same way that um, Moss Pelgo is significantly smaller than Moss Eisley. And I think Moss Eisley is, I could be wrong, but I think Moss Eisley is supposed to be smaller than Moss Espa. I could have it backwards because uh, Moss Espa is at least where the Grand Arena is. It just seems to make a little bit more sense in that regard. Jazz, um, they have jazz on Tatooine? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> got um, music? And it, other, like they've got even um, like Max Rebo's band as well for Jabba. Right. And like Jabba's got his palace that also, the Sarlacc pit um like the mountains you have in like the jundland wastes where obi-ron um rescues luke i mean it's there's so much different terrain where anakin uh you can see him traveling across like it almost looks like geonosis in attack of the clones yeah where you see him on the speeder um because probably it was shot um I think geonosis was jordan i can't remember uh maybe wrong but i guess because it kind of serves as a bit of a travel hub it's the most uh specially diverse i think of all the star wars planets too like there are way ports. Yeah, way fewer Port cities. Way fewer humans per capita, I would say. All kinds of beasts. Yeah. And I think and, and that's once again, it's all about like, I guess, kind of what you're associating in what way, because then again, yeah, if you associate all the characters that have such close ties to Tatooine, it's hard to not put it first in that regard too. Well, what are you gonna put it first? What's your favorite Star Wars planet? My favorite Star Wars planet is the one that is absolutely in its most way uh its own character and one that impacts the plot the most and uh this may be a little bit of a hail mary to get you to uh watch this plot but it's hardcore an honest answer and my favorite planet in star wars is mortis and okay this one was pretty hard to beat when i put it down uh because of just how much it influences the plot it is its own i iconic uh, part of the Clone Wars story. Uh, and it is the strongest force nexus in the galaxy. Uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan uh, and Ahsoka travel there. Time moves at an incredibly different pace. It moves like days are seconds outside of Mortis. And while you're on Mortis, uh, it, every day you experience all four seasons. Uh, and wow. night is terror. Terror reigns. Death reigns. It is black and awful. Mortis is run by the father, the son, and the daughter. Right. The father controls the son and the daughter, the daughter of light, the son of dark. Anakin learns a lot of lessons on Mortis about who he is, what his destiny is, about making decisions. Mortis greatly impacts the rest of Ahsoka's journey uh, and her relationship with the Force and her decision to leave the Jedi Order because of her almost higher understanding of the Force. Uh, Mortis is where Anakin proves that he is the chosen one uh, from a, a galactic and Force perspective. Uh, and some re- incredible mythical storytelling occurs on the planet. Uh, so it just hammers home in all directions. It's a fascinating arc that I revisit on a regular basis. Uh, and it's it's called the it's it's the Mortis arc because the planet is so essential. Nothing else is called like well, you could maybe say the Tatooine part or the, <laughs> the Dagobah part, but 
in the same way, Mortis is, it, it's, it, it changes the Clone Wars and it changes the way you look at Star Wars to a degree. It's so cool. That's a really good sell. I, I had kind of been tipped off that you were going to go a little bit outside of the obvious for your number one. Yes. And I was ready to be like, come on, I know you love the cartoon show, but like, how can you like that more than Tatooine? Uh, fair enough, though. That's like, I, and I guess you've told me enough over the years about Mortis that, I mean, look, my my curiosity is peaked. Like, that's that sounds mm. good to me. And it sounds uh, narratively like, I don't want to say a slippery slope because it sounds like they stuck the landing, but it 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 sounds so ambitious mm. um, that I'm a little surprised that they took it on. That was Dave Filoni and George Lucas. They they were still in charge, and George Lucas was very adamant. He was very involved in this arc. This has lots of key George Lucas DNA built within it. Uh, and one thing, as much as the Rise of Skywalker succeeds in nailing the themes of star wars um like in like having like good positive vibes and duel of the fates didn't necessarily the script of duel of the fates colin trevorrow's original script for episode nine had some fantastic plot uh and as a story of like really fit in with the rest of the other eight movies quite nicely it had it had a bad ending but the main ending and some of a lot of kylo's motivation actually stem around Mortis mm -hmm. and the final duel is to take place on Mortis and the artwork that you can see of like battling like literally they, they battle as they skywalk they walk in in midair and, and are fighting each other it's like ah! and, and the season's changing around them and so it would have been really cool to see because Kylo goes there hoping to find the same power that his grandfather found there and to control the, ultimately the balance of the force in the galaxy. And so it really would have been tying everything together. They could have done it in, in an excellent way, um, but it doesn't mean they can't still bring Mortis back in another very powerful way in Star Wars. So I'd be excited to see that. No, it seems like such fertile ground because they reinvented the wheel, right? They'd already created so many Star Wars planets, but it seems like it hadn't quite occurred to them to make a planet that when you're there, it manipulates time and humanity. Yeah. Like that's and you. That's a can of worms, and you. Uh, so that's that's really cool. It almost you almost describe it like it's a traditional parable that lives within Star Wars. Like it's almost biblical. It is. It's extremely biblical in the sense that it is a. It is learning those same metaphorical lessons, but those meta metaphors come to life on Mortis. Right, and that's why it's it, it's you're facing your demons and their demons, <laughs> and right. so it's it's really cool, uh, and it also. Uh, it also had a dagger that was integral to the to the plot uh, that is buried in in the, the heart of the planet, and so that of course got me really excited for a, a random dagger that is supposed to like oh how are we gonna kill this unkillable Sith Lord? And I was like oh I don't know there's a dagger in the plot this seems too good to be true, but no it wasn't. <laughs> My favorite Star Wars planet also revolves around an unfulfilled potential because Naboo could have been Alderaan, and that's really the only thing that's wrong with it. It is my favorite planet. It's just beautiful inside and out. They did a really stellar job uh, of making it feel immersive and lived in. As soon as you crash land in episode one, decades after Star Wars has taken this hiatus, um, yeah, we've talked at length about how it should have been Alderaan in terms of stakes and just for like rounding that circle, closing out the gap. Um, we'll never know why they didn't do that. It doesn't matter. But from the it palace... Go ahead. Not wanting to kill. I'm pretty sure it was not wanting to have all the Gungans killed. I think that was George Lucas's plan ahead of time because he was expecting people to like Jar Jar. That's very bad. That's a very bad <laughs> reason. Um, 
He could, if he was so like precious about Jar Jar, he could have found another way to save Jar Jar. Anyway, this I, is also the guy who had Anakin slaughter younglings. So let's not always believe everything George Lucas says. One time, the palace is beautiful. Gungan City, in spite of Jar Jar, really amazing and creative. The Duel of the Fates, oh, obviously, God. is some of the coolest Star Wars ever. Um, it just sets the stage for the prequel trilogy, and and that's like really when I'm first falling in love with Star Wars in like a proper personal way. Um, it kind of takes a back seat even through the rest of the trilogy, even though like we spend tons of time there in The Phantom mm-hmm. Menace. It, it, it comes and goes through it, episodes two and three, but it's not as prominent. Uh, and that's a shame. I'd like to go back. I'm confident we can. And that's where mm-hmm. it's different from like Hoth, for example. Like I, I really think we can, similarly to Coruscant, Coruscant and Naboo really kind of work in tandem in the prequel trilogy. And so it would be neat to see how their interplanetary relationship is holding up over time. And I look forward to that opportunity someday. Uh, Naboo rules. It's gorgeous. It does. And it's once again, George trying to show, okay, Tatooine was our home base before. Awful, like gruff, sandy Tatooine. Even Anakin talks about it later. Of course, sand's course rough, gets irritating, gets everywhere. Right. Yeah. He's trying to compare it directly to Naboo, which they talk about in Attack of the Clones, because people are like, oh, I don't like how Naboo is so different and everything's so smooth. It's, yeah. He's making a point. Yeah. That it's beautiful before the evil takes over. And guess what? The evil comes from within. Palpatine's ah. from Naboo. And like that's actually where I think is the most fertile ground to give us more Naboo is because give us young Palpatine. Um, And so that would make a ton of sense. Uh, You can get it from it's it's, it being a strong political position as well. Still Uh, you can get some cool Gungan storytelling. I'm sure would love to go back to Gunga city. Um, It's a seeker city. Uh, And it's just like the, the fields where they have the giant daytime field battle. I mean, yes, give me more daytime. I want no clouds in the sky. I want to see every Booma and broken battle droid. And so it's, <laughs> yeah, it's great choice. Great. Okay, well, we should talk about some of the other planets, not at great length, but I mean. No, so some, we, we definitely. Talk- let's talk right away about Alderaan. Because uh, yes. it's beautiful. Uh, it's just underwhelming the fact that we don't see a little bit more in Revenge of the Sith, at least. Right, I guess we do see it in Revenge of the Sith, don't we? But I, I forget yeah, that all briefly. the time. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of It's beautiful, different. and it's a cool story, and th- there are cool stories that occur on Alderaan as well in expanded canon, because young Leia stuff is, is is pretty cool. And so in, like, Rebels, you see some more Alderaan. You do see some in, in Rebels, I believe, and I believe as well in Clone Wars. I could be wrong, but... I believe you see it in both of them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful mountains. It looks like British Columbia, basically. Uh, Bespin and Cloud City is obviously really cool. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Great choice. Um, Kashyyyk. Yep. I mean, cool. we'll talk about great jungle environment and associated with characters that we love. Do they have, um, uh, like, are Wookiees the dominant species on Kashyyyk? They are. Yes. There are. We've, we were introduced to many other ones. Uh, in Jedi Fallen Order, because Jedi Fallen Order has a problem where uh, apparently uh, this Jedi likes to kill a lot of living creatures. Uh, (laughs) But essentially, they just have to make a bunch of evil bugs so that you can get away with killing something. Right. Um, But yeah, so they're the only, they're they're the leading sentient species on on Kashyyyk. Geonosis? Uh, 
Geonosis, great choice. A disgusting leading sentient species there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, again, the setting for some pretty cool stuff in Star Wars. And and you're a, a bigger yeah. uh, Attack of the Clones apologist than me, but it's really integral mm. to that plot point. And, and so and that's cool. the construction of the Death Star. Oh, uh, sure. So yeah. integral to that. Yeah. Uh, and that giant battle, the Petronaki Arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty cool. Um, Lamu. What's Beautiful. Lamu? I don't know. Lamu. Lamu is the start of Rogue One, uh, where the Urso's farm is. Oh, it's got nice. like the, the black beaches, and it's like the, the air is heavy. Yeah. They're moisture farming. They live in this like cool underground hut. It's like, it's, it looks like Scottish Highlands, kind of. I never it's understood just why a they're cool environment. I never understood why they're moisture farming in what appears to be a very damp uh, environment. They're they're cleaning it. Oh, they're moisture purifying. Yes. Cool. So it's like yeah. toxic to be out in the air then. I I think so. I think that's partly why like the beaches are so like dark and it's just it's so clearly heavy air, but a really cool environment. And another one they do. Uh, probably an even better job of in maybe all of those areas. And I talk about it, how much I loved it when we first saw it were the green skies of Corvus. Uh, one of my absolute favorite recent additions uh, to planets uh, where we meet Ahsoka and the Mandalorian. This is a very, very cool planet. I loved it. Speaking of Mandalorian, uh, what about Mandalore? I mean, I don't know anything about this planet. That's another one of my honorable mentions, a very cool planet. That planet's glass now. At least that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm really curious because Mandalore, uh, it's got the kind of like the, the the domed and off cities. And it's this like just it's a lot of like salt flat desert sort of uh, style. And so if those cities are all destroyed or if they're turned into bases, like what's the planet like right now? And so it could be very interesting. Uh, it's just it's, it's such a big question mark in canon at the moment. But uh, obviously talk about associating with certain types of characters there's there's tons you do there and with all the lord of the dark saber um another one from mandal mandalore uh, sorry from mandalorian would be trask trask was the, was the oh, water world yeah. that was really cool i loved trask what about mon yeah. cala is that a planet that we get to see uh that is a, that's the next one on my list we get to see mon cala in uh the clone wars uh and in a bunch of comics and whatnot uh and yeah it's it's underwater but i, I put it there for the fact that yeah the mon Cals. uh so you got to have them uh scarif this was scarif just so outside cool. of my list this so cool just missed the cut yeah. beautiful yeah i actually forgot about scarif all day never occurred to me and oh yeah it was one that was just outside my list. It was on my list at it for a good part of it, and I had to cut it because for Coruscant and whatnot. But uh, Scarif, just such a phenomenal backdrop. Another daytime battle, which is yeah. awesome. Uh, battle of Scarif is fantastic. And then, of course, having it all blown up with the Death Star and just the gaze and the explosion that just engulfs them all. That one's incredible. So the obvious forest planet so to speak is the forest moon of endor um but then also yavin yavin four absolutely that's another um planet situation um or planet moon situation i mean uh braca which is another one which is uh kind of like a scrapyard planet um there's also a scrapyard planet in mandalorian um can't remember that which one that one is uh the one where they um carthon carthon chop fields is where uh bill burr mayfield was sent i think okay yeah yeah um yeah, so that one was cool. But Braca is one where you see a lot of like crash star destroyers. They went there in Bad Batch, and they also um, 
or sorry, Bendiger class Star Destroyers, but, uh, and also uh, Jedi Fallen Order, you can explore like a bunch of ruins and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Jakku. Um, Jakku, another great one. And uh, one more on my list uh, would be Octo. Oh my God, how did I not think of that? And for that matter, how oh, it, did you not put it on your list? Uh, it, another one just outside my list probably would have, would have been in my top 10. And sorry, there was another one on here that was, uh, it's just, it's on a different line uh, that was on my list. Uh, the opposite of Octo, Exical. <laughs> Uh, nice. And so Exical has got a lot of question marks around it, but it's ripe for other stories and is very cool. And the fact that it also heals at the end of the Rise of Skywalker and the lightning stops and the weather gets better. Uh, and another point that nobody ever talks about in the Rise of Skywalker that I think shows so much potential interest for this, this planet and what was really going on there. And so that's another one that's really interesting. But yeah, it's this dark side, light side, balanced place where Luke goes. It's awesome. One of my main criticisms of the sequel trilogy is that they invented too many new planets. And for some reason, my brainstorming planets today stopped me ahead of the sequel trilogy. So I didn't even like think to include Octo or even or even Jakku. I'm talking about it with you now. Um, what's the casino planet in Last Jedi? Cantonica. Oh, what's the city called? What am I Canto thinking? Cantobite. Cantobite is what I'm thinking. Um, Dantooine, I don't know if you know anything about that, but they say the word a bunch of times. Yeah, Dantooine's um, pretty boring. Uh, it's pretty remote. Uh, uh, what about Corellia? Corellia is a cool one. It was really nice to see that in Solo for a change. Um, it had been so talked about for so long, but to get uh, a really high like focus, uh, and of course, actually to see where, where Han starts out and the White Worm Gang was cool. Uh, but Vandor as well in Solo, that would be probably my favorite Solo location. Uh, Snowy Vandor, that was pretty cool. Oh, sure, yeah, that's awesome. Wow, it's a, it's just an endless list and it will grow it to be really longer. It really is. Uh, okay, so let's talk about what's in, uh, what's in the news, Star Wars-wise. Uh, there isn't a ton in the news. Uh, we won't talk about this long because I don't think there's a whole lot to say. Um, but, uh, Lego, uh, Slave One, uh, they took the name Slave One off the, the Lego set. People are in an uproar over it. Uh, if they canonically try to change it from Slave One to something else, that'll be stupid. If they just start ignoring the name Slave One, okay, they probably did for the first, I don't know, 20 fucking years anyway, before yeah. that was actually on packaging. Like, who cares? Calm down. If they want to call it Boba Fett's Starship, then on the box, it can be called Boba Fett's Starship. I can appreciate a toy company not wanting to have sensitive language on their packaging. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it, like you said, it's not necessary anyway. And so it's it's hardly a controversy. Yeah, but I mean, some people want to make a controversy. Even one of the guys who was a stand-in on Boba Fett uh, was decided he, he needed to make his Twitter stance about it. But uh, it's something, whereas if they push further where it actually can impact the story, where it's like, huh, really? Like, and a, and a, you're going to make the agenda impact the story when there's a lot of other things in there? That seems a little weird. But like you said, it's a toy. Yeah. Yeah, let it, let it go, people. Right. Um, in cooler news, uh, there's uh, a lot of discussion just around um, uh, Leslie Headland uh, and the Acolyte and that being uh, kind of in the works. Uh, it's going to begin filming in London in February 2022. Uh, and so that means we'll probably get some casting news throughout the year, which is really cool. Uh, and at Star Wars Celebration next year, there could be like a sizzle reel. Uh, it's very exciting. And there's been recent discussions uh, where she talked about how uh, one of the biggest inspirations for this is the Phantom Menace. Uh, and so 
that gets me even more excited. The yeah, fact that me Phantom too. Menace is a key inspiration here. We know it's a story that takes place 50 years before it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to read too much into the the article, but I know that there's uh, like Qui-Gon Jinn's presence in Anakin's life. I think that was kind of one of the key things that was hinted on, hinted on and just kind of how Darth Maul can kind of interact with that and just kind of like the pull from the dark and the light. Uh, it's just nice to see also the Phantom Menace being an inspiration point as opposed to something that was like shunned in in kind of some variations of Star Wars or, or, or not talked about as much recently by since Disney's acquisition. It's fertile ground. There is so so there are so yeah. many open doors in, in Phantom Menace, or rather closed doors that are begging to be opened. And so I, I'm psyched for for her to be the one to to tackle that because she's so optimistic about the potential for Star Wars. Yeah, and also just kind of reading here a little bit more into it about how uh, Qui Gon's intrigue about where the Sith come from, where have they been, mm. and so that is what the, the point of the story is. It's about a, a Sith acolyte or a, or a dark side acolyte of sorts. So I'm very interested, and the fact that Darth Maul is of interest there that lends also maybe some credit to the Night Sister theory that this would be a Night Sister theme because the main character is supposed to be female. If it's a female dark sider. Um, and you want to have the ability to interact, Night Sisters are a, a really clean way of doing that. So they're just a, a magical dark side user. Uh, Darth Maul is a Night Brother. Uh, so it's just they, they, the Night Sisters run the planet and they just kind of basically were like, hey, we want one. And so they're like, yeah, this one. Um, that's kind of how they picked them in the past. Really sad that they picked his brother. Uh, and in, I don't know if canonically how Palpatine acquired Maul, um, but in Legends, he he acquired him through kind of like a backroom deal sort of thing with with one of the the, the Night Sister uh, witches and whatnot. So it's a uh, it's an interesting area and definitely fertile ground. Cool. Uh, Rogue Squadron uh, has got their writer in Matthew Robinson, uh, who I don't really know a whole lot about him, um, but. Uh, it was, let's see what it is, Love and Monsters uh, and Live, Die and Repeat. Uh, and so he's worked on those and um, The Invention of Lying. Um, so The Ricky Gervais movie? Yeah, so very like all over the place choices, yeah. but it's it's clearly something that she that uh, she sees something in him. So that's that's good. And okay. she's, she's got the vision. And so have the writer, I don't know, I don't want to say it feels less important, but uh, it was was inevitable, and mm -hmm. and so it's that's that's great. It just means the movie's trucking along. Right, excellent. And that would be it. Just in about the it. News. Cool. I want to yeah. say happy birthday on Thursday, July the first, to David Prowse. Who I guess nice. is this the first birthday that uh, since he's passed away? I think so. Yeah, it I is. think he was one of the many from last year well a happy birthday nonetheless sir uh, if you would like to share with us your top six list uh, of your favorite planets in star wars or any planets that you feel we misrepresented or maybe forgot about which seems impossible but surely is the case you can always uh email us recorder 66 podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at recorder 66 uh please rate and review on your preferred podcast app so we can find more star wars fans like us and if you're joining us on youtube be sure to to, uh, is it like or is it upvote? I'm not a YouTube person. It's like, right? Like and subscribe? I think so, yeah. Smash yeah, that subscribe, like subscribe. button. <laughs> and until we are together again, may the force be with you.